3: You are listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. My name is Wang. I'm a journalist and a former Chinese international student. I'm recording from Gadigal country.
1: I'm Mark. I'm a fresh out of uni graduate and a young Chinese Australian. I'm recording from Wurundjeri country.
3: In each episode, we will explore a theme that reflects the daily life of a young Chinese person living in today's Australia.
1: And today, we're talking about something that can either be really frustrating or really heartwarming, sometimes usually probably both, parents and families.
3: And there's such a reason why we chose this theme for this episode, because if you have listened to our previous episodes, you will notice that whether it's about politics, food, or lion dance, Almost every guest mentioned their parents.
1: Yeah, which sort of makes us wonder, what actually is the role of our parents for people who grow up in such a kind of mixed or hybrid culture? You know, in the media, we see a lot of description of Chinese parents as like tiger mums or stereotypes about how rebellious the young diasporic generation is. But we're keen to kind of, I guess, go a bit beyond those stereotypes today.
3: And also what you said just reminded me of a theme that I recently watched. It's called Turning Red and it talks about a Chinese Canadian girl and how she explores her relationship with her own mother as well as their family mystery with red pandas. So in the theme, you can see there are some stereotypical-ish mother character who's always straight, who always want their kids to be perfect. It seems to be quite universal if you're from the Chinese background that you always like potentially be in this sort of relationship with your parents. Someone might want to get you to be a perfect child. Is this also your experience, Mark?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I haven't seen the film yet, but I'm instructed it's like a pretty good representation. And like based on your description, I'm like, yeah, I can relate. So in my household, I'm like the oldest sibling. My young brother is six and a half years younger than me, which is quite a big age gap. Also, he was born here and I was born in China. So I came here pretty young, but he was born here and kind of grew up here all the way. And I guess the parenting dynamic in our household was a little bit strange in that regard, because I feel like I was brought up more with that stereotypical kind of traditional Chinese pressure to be perfect or whatever. Whereas mum and dad are uh, maybe a bit more relaxed with him for example we both did learn piano but i was pushed all the way hardcore to like get my diploma by the time i was 13 and i want to say my brother had it a little bit easier in terms of that at least
3: And let's hear some more stories from our guests today and see if their stories and experience also match with you.
1: Yeah, so today we're joined by Sonia Feng, a journalist based in Sydney. Hi, guys. And Melissa Chang, a chiropractor and competitor on Australian Survivor Blood vs. Water.
0: Hi, how are you guys?
1: Good, thanks. Mel, you grew up in Hong Kong. When did you move to Australia and what was that like?
0: So my sister and I, we moved to a city called Geelong in Victoria in... uh, When we were 15, so we did our VCE here and it was just us two. And I've been here ever since. I think going to Australia from Hong Kong was a ginormous change. And not only did we pick Australia, we picked a really, well, we we regarded it as a really small town (laughs) compared to the busiest city in the world, Hong Kong. We chose tranquil Geelong to go to school. It was a humongous change for us. Even so- socially, we had to adapt to our new surroundings and, you know, have different conversations that we weren't used to having it, growing up in a big city. I did get homesick, but not as much as my sister, even though she was the one that wanted to move here. I think I adapted faster than she did. I established a quick friendship group with some girls at school that, who I'm still friends with now. And... Yeah, she just found it a little bit harder to fit in while we, when we moved here.
1: It sounds like she might have felt this a little bit more, but did you ever feel kind of like you were a little bit different from the white kids that you were around? Did you feel like your families kind of put a different kind of pressure, even from afar?
0: I think it's a really great school in Geelong. And I know that the conversations are different because we stayed in the boarding house and most of the kids in the boarding house were from the country, so there were not many international students that were in the boarding house. I think I could count them on my hand, how many there were. So, you know, you were thrilled to the different conversations and, you know, different lifestyle upbringings. And you can definitely tell that we did not grow up here, Um, just with just even simple conversations and even things like, Cold Milo really blew my mind here because in, well, we we're Singaporean, but we were born in Hong Kong. But in Singapore, if you have a cold Milo, it's a hot Milo with ice. Whereas here, cold Milo is milk with Milo, like just powder. So like that was totally different. That blew my mind. <gasps> that
2: was so revolutionary to me having hot Milo. I only discovered that in my 20s. The cold is so classic. I prefer cold. But, you know, sometimes I change things up and have a hot Milo. <laughs> Sonia, I know you were born and you are raised up
3: in Sydney. Have you ever felt that uh, I wish my parents would be like my classmates' parents who are not from Chinese background? Like anytime
2: anything happened to you that made you feel that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I grew up in southwest Sydney in Bankstown where it's, you know, I went to a school in the 90s and it was just so... Diverse, like I, all the kids in my school came from different backgrounds—Lebanese kids, Vietnamese kids. We all went to Saturday school, and we all learnt languages. You know, I learnt Mandarin class. A lot of kids went to did Arabic class, and we sort of meet up in the playground during break time, and it just felt like school. And all the kids I went to school with in Southwest Sydney, we weren't different because we were all kids of migrants. But when I moved to Northwest Sydney. It was very different. Like I went to a school where it was white. There was maybe one percent of people came from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and I felt it most there. I think that's where, yeah, where I felt most different, and the sort of the sort of shame started to settle in. Even bringing lunches to school, right? I think I always bought these yummy lunches my mum made in hot thermos, and all the kids. In my school, in West Pent Hills, didn't have that. They had their sandwiches, they had all their... And I didn't have that. I I would have traditionally Chinese food. And so I felt really quite different. And I always wished I had what they had, which is just ridiculous. Because to me now, I think that food is so much better. (laughs) But little things like that, I think our parents... Chinese parents are very different. And I definitely did a lot of things growing up that I wish, you know, I at the time I didn't have to do, you know, like when I was nine, I remember because there's this language barrier, my parents still don't, I would categorize their English as quite poor still. And, and I remember when I was nine, filling out GIO forms and calling like car insurance and home insurance and doing all that sort of paperwork for them and continue to and constantly translate for our community. So there was a lot of things I did as a kid that you know, I saw kids in my school not having to do, I guess, the expectations of going to tutoring, you know, things like that. And so, you know, other kids didn't have to do. So I guess, yeah.
3: How did your relationship with your parents change from childhood through young adulthood? I guess, like, Mark and I, we are both in our early 20s. But at least for me, there have been a few new expectations. Like, for example, my parents would be like, oh, you better to have a good job, have a stable job. And now you should start to earn money for yourself. You should start thinking about saving for houses. You don't need to like date someone, but yeah, just be cautious because this is going to be your future. This kind of new expectation. What
0: is the case for you? I think growing up, my family, especially my mom and my dad, they were, you know, they gave us the best education that they can. And they give us a lot of opportunity to play sport and play music and be an all-rounded type of kid. And then in my 20s, like, you know, going to, making sure we go to university, making sure that we do a, a degree. My parents, they didn't make us become a lawyer or in finance, which I hear a lot of people get pushed to doing. So I was really lucky that my parents were supportive enough for me to be in the health industry, which I don't think is a bad thing anyway. But they, in the 20s, and they were, you know, they drill in your mind. They're just like, you know, you need to save your money, have a good career, get married (laughs) before you're 30. (laughs) which I failed at. and But then, you know, they just want the best for you at the end of the day. But I think there's more expectation being Asian and growing up in Asia, having this expectation of doing your best. And they, I think even there's competitiveness between my family and, you know, my aunties and uncles. They like to compare. And my kids better than yours or something, you know, but kind of not
1: really. But that kind of boasting kind of thing. Something else that um, I guess we talked a little bit about, something else that I'm thinking about now as someone in my early 20s is just that there seems to be a big shift in dynamic from your sort of 20s to your 30s, right? For example, it's sort of like, in high school, it's like, don't talk to someone of the opposite gender. And then in two years after that, they're like, why aren't you married yet? And so that shift.
0: Yeah, I think even growing up, we never even discussed dating at all. I don't think I've ever discussed dating life with my parents at all. And then we suddenly have to be enthralled into getting married. And I was like, but we haven't even started, you haven't even talked to me about dating or boys or anything. So it was a very weird, like, suddenly just jumps and is like, you need to think about marriage now. You need to find a nice man with a stable income that will take care of you, preferably Asian. <laughs>
3: you remind me of my dad. I think my dad changed his mind, but like Early 2016, when I was just starting my university age. And because I grew up in China. So I think their mindset is that before university, you are not allowed to date anyone. University is a time that you start to like hang out with one guy only. And then you break up with the guy. And then after you need graduation, and then you find another guy. And then you get married with this one. Why you need two? Because one is not good. Q is enough. Okay, but going back to my dad's perception is that he's really worried that I will date non-Chinese guys when I'm in Australia. So he's been always asking me, okay, is that guy a Chinese? Like secretly after me telling him that
2: I'm going out with someone. I didn't experience that shift, but I can sort of understand how you feel it's like oh yeah you've (laughs) gone you've gone to school maybe a same-sex school and then you transition to uni and then all of a sudden you're you're expected to family plan (laughs) I didn't have that expectation on me because my parents didn't actually expect me to have children so it was a bit different for me for me I think they yeah just wanted me to find my own feet and that's what I wanted for myself too. So I can kind of understand because, you know, you know, when I started dating, my parents never gave me the like sex talk sort of thing. And they only gave it to me after I started dating. So I was like too late for that because and I cannot understand looking back how hard it was for them to have that conversation because their parents didn't have that conversation with them. Right? So it would have taken my mum a lot of courage to have that conversation with me. That being said, I think it was a bit too late. <laughs> and they didn't sort of foresee that for some reason. Uh,
1: yeah, because I mean, you've got your own kid now, right, Sonia? And you mentioned that your parents didn't expect that either. Did that change your relationship at all? Did that yeah, signal a shift?
2: Yeah, no, they didn't expect me to have kids. And I think it took them by surprise that I chose this path. But they've been incredibly supportive of myself and my daughter. And it's actually really surprised me in many ways. Like I didn't expect my parents to really show up the way they did because I expected to take this all on my own and they've helped me out so much. So yeah, that relationship really has changed with my parents. The happiest I've ever been with them And I had, actually, when I was pregnant, I had someone tell me, you don't know how much your mum loves you until you have your own. And now I know. Because the way I look at my little girl, I know my mum looks at me that way. It's just this wonder and marvel, but at the same time, like, utter frustration. (laughs) (laughs) What is it like that you're having your parents participating in your own parenting? Parenting with your parents, I don't know if it's for everyone, because it is frustrating. Like I see so many bad habits <laughs> from my parents that I just want to improve on for my daughter so she doesn't act out that way. Cause my parents, you know, like Chinese parents, they're their way or the highway, right? And so whenever that doesn't work out, they get quite <laughs> either aggressive, sulky, yelling. I don't want to imbue those habits to my daughter. I want her to be resilient, right? So it's frustrating that my parents will say things like threatening her. and But it, it sounds odd to many people, but to me, it's normalized because my parents used to say it to me. They used to say, And it's effective, by the way. It's an effective parenting strategy short term, but I don't think it's good for the long term. Like my parents would say to my daughter, if you don't eat your rice or your meal, we won't love you. What what sort of message does that send? But my my parents have been saying that for thirty odd years. They've they said it to me growing up, so it was very normalised to me. It's frustrating because I see them as just bad habits, and I call them bad habits to my parents. And it's hard because you know you want to parent your way, and you you always want the next generation to be better, right? And you always want them to be resilient. You want them to be autonomous and as independent as they can be. You know, you want your kids to be emotionally intelligent. And I just feel as if I'm facing quite a few battles on that front. And I just have, I find myself drawing, you know, just creating boundaries for my parents. And it's not to pull away from that because the way I see my parents and my daughter engage with, with each other, just the love I see my daughter for her grandparents and the love my parents have for my daughter, truly those memories will last me a lifetime. It's just so, so joyous. It it, it is frustrating, but at the same time, like the way I lean into my parents for support They've really still to this day put me ahead of their own needs, and that's what parents do, right? They put their kids' needs ahead of their own, and my parents continue to do that for me. As frustrated as I am with them, I know they're just as frustrated with me because <laughs> they see they they've been parenting for thirty odd thirty years, and so they know. Oh well, we've done it for this this long, you know, we're experts, and then they have me telling them, no, that's not <laughs> that's, that's not the way I want it, but. Or this you should be doing this. So I think they're frustrated too. It's just finding it's just finding a way to work together
3: in that case, what kind of parents do you want to be? Do you want to be a more Chinese parent or like a more Australian parents, or is there such a style of like Chinese Australian parents? If it's this, what do you think it is? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out as I go along but I think I, I truly think a bit of both because I do want my daughter to be autonomous I don't want to make her decisions because I don't have to live her consequences she does so I want to teach her and respect her autonomy but at the same time I really appreciate how you know my parents have taught me familial piety like I don't think a lot of Australian families really value that you know I really respect my elders and I hope to take care of them as they age, and so that's something I really want to imbue into my to my daughter's outlook. So that's there's a bit of both, you know, like I, there's good and bad with any parenting style, or I don't know if there's styles. It's just people doing what they do, but and different cultural influence, of course. But I think a bit of a bit of everything, and just just trying to do, arm your your child the best they can to sort of navigate life, really.
1: Do you have any siblings though, Sonia? What kind of relationship do you have with them?
2: I do have a sibling. I have a younger sister. She's 14 months younger than I am. And we have an interesting dynamic. She's she's always been strong. Stronger than I in many ways, frankly. Like she's just a powerhouse. She's ambitious, she's persevering. She's really incredible in that sense. Like I really do I'm really proud of her but she's just different to me. That's all. That's really all. She's just different. We just have different ways of dealing with things like everyone else, you know, different outlooks and all that kind of stuff, different values too. Sometimes, you know, we, we do divergent values too. So you could live in the same household, grow up in the same household, have the same parents, but have very different kids. And so, um, I think being my sister that she just had a little girl in November. And it's kind of interesting. We both have a young one. And so we're navigating this early parenthood together. It's it's definitely changed our dynamic in many ways.
1: Do you feel like you've both learned how to parent from your own parents? So that means you're similar in parenting styles?
2: <laughs> I don't think we're similar. Although that being said, I would say she has the same things in mind that I do as well. <laughs> just things that we don't want to repeat for the next generation, things we're very wary of, like, you know, our response, not, you know, not in anger um, and being very calm and all that kind of stuff and doing things that our parents didn't do for us. And I think we're both very tapped into that and I would say it's definitely because of our parents really, the way that we were raised and I think my sister is very aware of that. So, in, in that sense, we're quite similar. But I think my sister would be a lot more militant than I am. I think I'm a bit more laid back, if
1: I'm honest. <laughs> That's a strong word choice, <laughs> militant.
2: <laughs> Some parents are. Like, you know, they, you know, put their kids this time, you know, this time they eat, this time they sleep. They're very – and my sister was very much like that. In when I remember with her newborn, she – even if the baby cried, she wouldn't feed the baby because it was only fed this time, this time, this time. Whereas I was just, I was feeding on demand whenever my, because we, we both breastfed our kids. And so my little one, I just fed on demand every time she cried for me because I knew she needed, you know, uh, me. So and my sister knows that too, but I think, yeah, it's just that that's the reason why I said militant.
1: What was it like competing with your sister on Survivor, Mel? I mean, that must have been a really cool experience. What kind of relationship did you have leading up to it? And, you know, did it change your relationship to compete together?
0: For us growing up, my sister and I were really, really close. We obviously have a bond that only a few people know about, being twins. And I'm sure people out there who are multiples can understand that it's not just a sibling relationship, but, you know, we did share DNA. We are the same you know, eggs split into half. So we have this bond that no one can explain. Um, Sometimes we don't even have to think. We haven't lived in the same city since, oh, 2000 and I'm going to say 2009. So she moved to Sydney when I moved, when I was still doing university in Melbourne. And then after that, we've never lived in the same city. And that was really weird. Obviously, being overseas, you don't talk as much, but we still had that connection together and when she finally moved to Sydney to be with her now husband last year I went to visit her and she um going on the show with her has been amazing for both of us to just kind of bring it bring us back together and being in the same place at the same time I will forever thank my survivor (laughs) family for that (laughs) for getting us back in the same place, especially with our father passing away really like very like just before the show started. To for us to be in the same place. But we didn't actually play together very long. We only played together for three days because we're on separate tribes before that. But to actually see her across the mat, knowing that she's okay and sharing this experience with twenty two other people out there with my sister I mean, we've got stories that we will cherish forever that we can only know about.
3: So I'm very sorry to hear that your father passed. Tell us a bit more about him. What was he like?
0: My father, he, I think he was a really busy man. (laughs) I remember growing up and he was just at the office constantly, but... Looking back at it, it was just to give us a better life, you know, to work his butt off and to make sure that we had a roof over our head and food to eat and have going to a really good school and giving us opportunities to travel and to play sport and play instruments. And I think that he, yeah, he was a tough nut too, but he also had a softer side. We, my sister and I, we had holidays with him. We love soccer we call it football, but I know here they call it soccer a lot. So we would go to every World Cup together since Japan and Korea in 2002. And it was just my father, my sister and I. We we used to call it OK Holidays. And we used to just go to these games, watch the football, and then, you know, anything that we wanted to do, he would say yes. So in Japan, you know, we said, can we have pizza? And pizza is really expensive in Japan if you back then, I don't know about now. And then he was like, okay. So we used to call it the okay holiday. Can we go to Universal Studios in the rain? Okay. <laughs> then we carry on that tradition to like, you know, Germany. And then I think my sister went to South Africa with them and then Russia and Brazil and then Qatar this year, hopefully my sister is talking about. So hopefully we make it over there just to carry on the tradition without him. But he was a venture guy and he made sure that we saw the world cause it was the most important thing for us is to experience different cultures and making sure that we experience life in that way then that, that can impact us as well. So he said travel is always the most important thing.
1: Yeah, those sound like really special memories and um, wow, what an important legacy he left in your life. I'm really glad you get to honor him like that. What about your mum? What's she kind of like, is she different, similar?
0: My mother, she is like the definition of tiger mom. It's like nothing is ever good enough. So <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate. You know, not even like if she eats food, sometimes she goes, oh, mm, it's too salty. Mm, it's too sweet. nuts, nah, it's too bitter. But when she does like something, she goes, oh, mm, that's okay. And that means that's excellent. And, you know, and it's... You know, if I go to a wedding and I wear something really pretty and I send her a photo, I go, what do you think? And she goes, that's acceptable for the occasion, which means I love it, you know. So it's just a different way of expressing love. But I know that's love because that's her way of saying, I love that dress, but that is acceptable for the occasion. That equals that. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like Asian households or Asian parenting uh, is often kind of very, like, future-oriented, right? But it also kind of sometimes means that parents will kind of impose on you what their idea of, like, a good future is and then kind of expect you to conform, uh, which you might not always realise until you grow up, necessarily.
0: Yes, well, they they do have a say in, like, you know, they try and push you to, like, their idea of a perfect life. And... I think that they only want what's best for you at the end of the day. So if they push me into that area and I don't even realise and they're just like, yes, small win, I, I don't mind. I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, just thinking about my own parents as well. I feel like they were so, like, subtly trying to push me to study medicine, which I didn't end up doing. But the, the messaging throughout my adolescence was so, like, it was a bit much.
0: <laughs> I know. As, mu- as much as I love to try and be a doctor or a lawyer, I... um. Unfortunately, was not uh, had the grades for that. So I, you know, I have always been a type to help people, and I feel like as a chiropractor, I do that, and I actually really enjoy my job and going there every day. So that's what you need at the end of the day.
3: <laughs> like when I'm making this episode, I do start rethinking about my relationship with my parents. Recently, I do find that okay, to some extent, I do become less. I'm not contacting them as frequently as I was when I was like a teenager or even just a couple of years ago because I started working I started to focus a lot on myself which is a good thing but also like I realized I am not spending time on making calls with my parents and also like I start to have feel like I want to have my autonomy I want to have my autonomy in a sense that like ah now I'm at the age that even if you are saying that you should go home earlier, I'm not going to listen to you. Like I'm just going to a pub and club and I stay up there for a whole night. I still love them and I still go to them for advice, but it seems just like I care more about myself at this, at
2: this stage. Wing, do your own thing. That's my advice. <laughs> do your own thing. I think I was the same in my early 20s. I was just so focused on myself because you're really trying to find your feet, right? You really are at that age, and you should be. You should be allowed that. So you are now in your early 30s. And
3: compared to when you were early 20s, like me and Mark, what was your view on your of your parents at the time, and has it changed now you enter 30s?
2: I remember when I was young, I was really quite submissive and timid and shy, and then like grew up and became my own person, found my fate, found my voice, and was quite... Some would say rebellious, but I would say I was just trying to know myself and experiment and, and take on new ideas and challenge myself and all those kind of things that you'd sort of do in your late teens, early twenties. And then now I'm 30 and it really has, that relationship with my parents has really changed, feel a deep love for my parents because I understand them more as parents because I'm a parent myself now and right. I understand the sacrifice when, you know, growing up, they rattle on and on about sacrifice and hardship, like they've been right. nagging at my ear <laughs> for 30 odd years about this and I never valued it. And it's so unfortunate and regrettable to me that I didn't that they spent so much hard-earned money on me and I didn't value it then, but now I know how much it takes. And I don't know, I, I just have a deeper understanding of my parents then
0: and now. There must be a reason why they parented like that because they just, I know at the end of the day, they just want what's best for me and my sister and my brother and they want to make sure that, you know, one day if they pass, well, if, yeah, if they pass, then they... That we will be okay, I think, and that's the core, and I think that's every family's core, but the characteristics of that obviously is different, so I think that you know they they were really like they made sure that they were strict and they had rules in place, they had you know advice, not really, like you know like little remarks like. If you get 98% on a test and they go, where's the 2%? Did it go on holiday? And I was like, it's one mark. It's one mark off. And yeah, and you know, even in sport, if we lose, like my father was a very keen like soccer player and he understood like, you know, if you lose, like you need to learn why you lost and improve for next time. And I found it astounding that when I came to Australia and I found out that kids, they don't count the points when they play. And then I was like, how do they know if they lose? And they're like, oh, they don't. They just play for fun. I said, but how do they learn? <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness, are my parents rubbing off on me? It's just, it's just really important to be grateful,
2: you know? Be grateful that someone nags you, cares enough to nag you, you know? Be grateful that someone looks is out looking f- over your shoulder, even if they're kilometres away from you, Wing. Like, be grateful that, you know, someone cares so deeply about you and your best interests and I know in your early 20s you've got to do your own thing but it's always nice now and then to sort of touch base with them and see how they're doing and appreciate them you know like (laughs) I don't know if I should (laughs) say this but sometimes I sit in silence and I listen to my mum rattle on and on (laughs) Because I know that's what she needs, and it's so funny because I see her doing that for my grandma. She will put my grandma on speaker, and she will just turn on the t- TV. She will just turn on the telly and just listen. And my grandma is relentless. She just rattles on and on, and it's even worse because at least with my mum and rattling on to me, my mum acknowledges my existence. But with my grandma, it's <laughs> she just goes on and on, carries on and on. And I think, yeah, I think that's what we need and I think f- my daughter will do that will do that for me one day you know I'll rattle on and on and she'll be like oh yeah alright mum but it's nice having that relationship it's nice being listened to so I think that's my advice to you is to appreciate how much they've been there for you and continue to be there for you and then at the same time give them a bit of time because I think that's what they would like to
1: Thank you for listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. This episode was hosted by Wing Kuang and Mark Yin. Our sound designer is Max Gosford. Thanks also to Rachel Sibley, Caroline Gates and Tanya Lee for their support.
3: For more about Chinese-ish, follow us on our social media or check out our website sbs.com.au slash chinese-ish.